We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Can you talk about a player or a moment where you were like and like messed up his head and maybe changed the game oh no you don't you 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 don't really have to talk a lot because the fans see it right and and that player is over there waving his hand and all you doing is saying you you looking at him like he ain't gonna pass it to you. Why, why am I guarding you? As a matter of fact, and, and yeah, you you would talk to different players, and you would be running down the court, and you'd be like, "Hey, this time, I'm not gonna even guard you." Let's you said that to people? Throw. Absolutely. Let's see if he throw you the ball, and then I run away and just double team, and everything. and then I come back to him and go, "I guess he didn't pass it to you, huh?" What what that does to the opponent psychologically? It definitely, like, you know, ruins his feel good about himself. And then, by the way, when you when he does finally get a chance to shoot it or get to touch it, and he misses that shot, and then you run back and you go, hey, man, it's, I know, it's, it's, it's hard to make a shot when you ain't touched the ball in the last 10 minutes, huh? <laughs> 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 you said that to people. Oh, absolutely. That, that, was, that was the mental and psychological game that you played out on the floor. Isaiah Thomas is a two-time NBA champion and NCAA champion. He's one of the greatest point guards in the history of the NBA. He's one of the greatest players in the history of the NBA. And he was the short champion. And he ran his team, the Detroit Bad Boy Pistons, with toughness. They battled in an era when it was Jordan, it was Larry Bird, it was Magic Johnson. He played against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So he had to be the mentally toughest and the physically toughest of them all. And I want to talk to him about mental toughness and about being a great basketball player and being a winner and what it was like to face some of the greatest players in the history of the game. And I am super proud of this conversation. You'll get half of it here for the rest of it, which is highly important, interesting, and entertaining. Go to patreon.com slash show and subscribe. And for just $5 a month, you get the entirety of our Wednesday episodes, the whole thing, and all of our Friday Patreon exclusives. Get involved. 
right now. It's the man, the myth, the legend, Isaiah Zeke Thomas on Torre Show. One of the core things that I wanted to talk to you about is when I think about you as a ball player, you had the heart, you had the winner champion mindset. Even when y'all were struggling through the Eastern Conference, it was still like, man, like that guy is a winner. And then when y'all finally broke through, it was like, see, we've been seeing that he could do it. And the smallest guy on the court usually, and still the biggest heart, toughest. So talk to me about the champion mindset that you that you I mean you were you were right on it like through like the mid 80s to the late 80s like leading a team of tough alpha guys against one of the greatest eastern conferences of all time and you were right there in the fight so what is the champion mindset that you were taking in night after night and into those big games in the final in the east finals and the finals and all that you know first to start out with uh just just perseverance, just uh, starting with, okay, this is, this is, this is, this is who we are. Uh, we may not be as, as talented as some of the other teams that we're playing individually, like Boston had more individual talent than we did. The Lakers had more individual talent than we did. And Chicago, from a talent standpoint with Jordan, you know, they just, they had more physical talent than we did. So collectively, how can we all come together and not be the best individuals, but be the best team? And if we can become the best team, then we got a chance to compete with those great individuals, <laughs> you know, and, and, and just committing to a, a game plan. But again, it started with perseverance, started with a dedication to being in the best physical shape that you can possibly be in. And then it started with, you know, just mental preparation. And we always defined ourselves as a, as a mentally tough team, uh, while the media and everyone else defined us and described us as a physically tough team. All mental toughness in terms of being able to sustain 48 minutes of execution, being able to sustain 48 minutes of play, and whatever was written on that blackboard, being able to take it off the blackboard and make it come to life out on the floor, not just one time, not just two times, but every single time. So in order to beat the Detroit Pistons, you, you had to be a little bit more than just physically gifted. You had to bring your mental aptitude to the game and be able to sustain that for 48 minutes or two and a half hours of pure concentration. And I think that's what made us such a good team. I mean, when the, when the game is close, and the game is big. You're in the playoffs. It's national TV. You're, you know, you're fighting against Bird, Jordan, Magic. I mean, and you can feel like legacies are on the line. You know, there's two minutes left. You know, it's tie, it's close. You're a little behind. What are the things that you are saying to yourself so that you can go out there and execute? Because you know, why is it kept in that kind of situation? Most of the guys are on the floor. Most of the guys on the floor are saying, "Don't pass it to me." Yeah. And a guy like you, Bird, Magic, Jordan, is like, give me the ball. But that's rare. Most of the people in a tense situation are like, don't throw it to me. They might knock it down if you do, but they're like, they're, and your attitude was always like, 
I want the ball. I know how to handle the situation. So what are you saying to yourself? Uh, I've practiced harder than anyone else. I've trained longer than anyone else. And from a stamina standpoint, those last two minutes, I'm, I'm in great physical shape. So while everyone else may be fatigued, um, I'm, I, I can go another two and a half hours. So I'm, I'm not really worried about my stamina or my physicality in terms of my, my training and my skill. I know there isn't anyone out on the floor that has practiced longer than I have, taking this shot, trying to perfect it, so forth and so on. So that gives you just enormous confidence in that situation. And the other thing that you're thinking about is, okay, you, you don't want to beat yourself. You don't want to make turnovers. And the other team, because they get fatigued or because they get mentally exhausted, they're going to make a mistake and they're going to do something that allows you as their competitor to truly take advantage of them. And that's what I prided myself on because I, I wasn't as, as big as the other guys. I wasn't 6'9". I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't blessed with the, 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 the gift of the jumping gene or nor was I blessed with the gift or the height gene. But the thing that I had to rely on was that I can out concentrate you and, and I think you for longer than you can height me or out jump me. The concentration piece is really important. And I think we don't always realize the fitness piece is so important because when the body starts to go, the mind starts to fall apart. Right. And you just you want to quit when your body is tired. And if you're like, we've been playing three hours, I'm not tired. You can still have crisp thoughts and control your mind. Absolutely. And, you know, we you know, in, in the sport of basketball, uh, you know, uh, like a lot of sports, but more so in basketball, uh, because it's continuous action, uh, we can we connect mind and body. Uh, more than most athletes have to do, um, you know, and in, a, and in most athletes, you, you know, the, the description of us, you, you really judge from the neck down. Uh, but for us, you know, playing in the sport and participating in it, you know, you really have to connect mind and body and you, you have to be able to think fast. So, you know, what some people may define as instinct or instinctive plays, uh, but those habits have been honed over time. And, and it's not that they are instinctive. It's that you think faster than your opponent. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. So, so I can make a decision or come to a conclusion faster than the other guy that I'm playing against. And, and you know, it, it, it's interesting, you know, for the, for the athlete, right? Most for the basketball players, we think in terms of time. We think 0.1, 0.2, 0.3, 0.4, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9, 1. <laughs> that, that's how Whoa. our mind works with time. So you watch the basketball game and you'll see 0. 0.6 seconds left on the shot clock. Well, we know that's a lot, lot of, time. of things can happen in 0. 0.6 seconds, right? But the, the average person, you know, they think one, two, three, four, five. We break those seconds down in our mind and have to really understand that and connect it with our body. 
I mean, when you talk about breaking down time, part of what separates the great athlete mind is you can stay in the now, right? And the average person is like zooming off into like, oh man, if they score here, we're going to lose the game. People are going to laugh at me. They're going to say I'm not as good as, I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm not going to get the big contract, whatever, whatever. But you're like, I am right here in this moment. I'm not thinking about the future. How do you, and that's a talent. How do you stay locked into this second right in front of you and not let the mind leap off into the future or go back in the past? Damn, we had a 10-point lead. I wish we still had a 10-point lead. Like, it's, it's gone. It doesn't matter. How do you, like, stay locked into now? So, so re- remember, a couple of minutes ago, I, I defined our basketball team, the Detroit Pistons, bad boys, we defined ourselves as a, as a mentally tough team and, and being able to sustain concentration for two and a half hours, 48 minutes of consistent play. And, and that was our focus. So every time that we walked out on the floor, that mental stamina, that mental focus in terms of concentration had to be present, had to be there one through 12. And that's how we carried ourselves. And that's why we became champions. Were you, were you afraid ever in these moments when it's close, there's a shot left, there's one position left, there's teetering? Like, were you ever afraid? No, I grew up on the west side of Chicago. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know I, that, in, in those moments, I, I actually found, uh, you know, uh, comfort uh, because that, that wasn't, uh, no, I was never afraid. I mean, I know the hero and the coward often feel the same, but the hero does it where the coward retreats. But you're like, I'm, I'm good. Oh, well, I'm, I'm good because I've, I've practiced. It's like, it, it's like um, if I was to give an example, it would be like, okay, coming into, into finals week and, and you prepared, studied, and now you got a test. And you walk into the classroom, you're like, I got this, you know? And some people look at those, those 35 or 40 questions and they're like, oh man, I didn't study, I didn't, I didn't do that. But the person who has studied, the person who is prepared, they're looking at those 35, 40 questions like, damn, that's all you got for me? <laughs> we live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy. And we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy. And I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer. Because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. 
And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Is there a clutch moment that you look back on like, yes, like right, like in this moment, we needed this shot, we needed this assist, and I made the play, and like, you know, other people were nervous, but I did the thing. Is there a moment that stands out of like, um, you know, I, I learned in, in, in high school and, and even in college, um, that there's, there's, there's no one play. Uh, every play is a big play. And this is something that my, my, my high school coach and then my college coach reinforced. My high school coach, uh, Gene Pingator in a high school hall of fame, my college coach, uh, Bob Knight in a, in a hall of fame. And, and they stress every single play is a big play because one play can change the course of the game and every possession is a big possession. So every, every, every time I got in the game and every time I played, I, I looked at every play as a, as, a, as a huge play and I tried to play that single play as if it was the most important play in the game. Because you never know, it could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, 88, game six, injured, hobbling around, still making plays, still controlling the game. What is going on in terms of I'm feeling intense pain and I'm still getting it done? How do you do that? You know, that's, that's, when, that's when, you know, those, those of us who have been in, in Baptist church before and you see people get the Holy Ghost <laughs> uh, and you don't know what, what that is, I, I, I really can't describe what happened. You know, I, I look back on it and I know I wanted to win. I know I was in pain, but at the same time, uh, what happened to my body, it truly was an out-of-body experience where I just felt like, you know, when they talk about being in that zone, I definitely got into it. But in terms of what happened, how it happened, I, I have no idea. I just know that I, I played the, the game of my life and uh, it was, 
it, it was it was a special feeling. I just wish I I just wish I wouldn't have been hurt, so I could have kept going. <laughs> uh, but I know in my amateur sports career, losses have been much more beneficial than wins, and you almost forget the wins quickly. But the losses you marinate on, and they teach you how to give it. So, what were you taking? Not as a team, but as as an individual, what were you taking? from the losses, because the first part of the 80s, you know, you were one of the best teams, but you kept running into different mountains. And eventually you got to the top of the mountain. But what were you taking from those losses that helped you finally get up the hill? You know, those heartbreaking losses, those heartbreaking disappointments, as you say, those are the things that you that you learn from. But while you're going through it, you're like, hey, man. <laughs> This learning thing, I don't want to do this uh, because <laughs> pain is is so is so intense and it hurts. Um, but but the thing that that you have to understand about sport, you know, what you do is that yeah, those those losses you can learn from and they're painful. But at the same time, while you're going through it, you have to be able to go back, critique it and truly study your mistakes. And, and then when that situation arises again, you don't repeat the same mistake you just made. However, you know, the, the learning process is a, is a, it's, it's a hard process to go through, but at the same time, you can never become the champion or I never, we never would have became the champions that we became. I never could have become the champion that I became had I not gone through those hard lessons that the Celtics taught us, that we were learning, bumping our heads up against them year in, year out, and until we fully understood how to, how to sustain concentration and do it for 48 minutes, and not just be good for a good 45, then you can beat them. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about being a great point guard, because you are definitely one of the great point guards of all time. How would you characterize your game? What were you trying to do when you went out on the floor? That's a, that's a really big question. <laughs> uh, because when I, because remember when I came into the game as a small point guard, the, the stereotype in the, in the box that they put the point guard in um, and they called it a pure point guard, which I had a lot of problems with the word pure. Uh, <laughs> I, well, did that mean you were supposed to pass first? You're supposed to pass, set up the offense, and then go run, stand in the corner. And then the big man was supposed to do all the work. And the way I was brought up, I learned how to play the game 94 feet. So you had to be able to operate in every area of the floor. Kind of what they do now, you know, what they call uh, interchangeable parts or, or what they called, um, uh, they don't put positionless basketball. When I came in, they wanted me to be in a position of the point guard. And these are the things that you can do as a point guard. And I was like, well, I practice shooting. So can I shoot? <laughs> I practiced this layup and they were like, no, you need to just go stand in a corner. So they didn't, I didn't, they didn't really have a position for me 
nor did they have one for Magic Johnson. Because you remember when Magic Johnson came into the league as a 6'9 point guard, everyone was like, well, he's got to play power forward. And it was very controversial for him to be a 6'9 point guard doing the things that he was doing. And I came in behind that as a 6'1 point guard being able to do some of the things that I would do. So they didn't have a position or a purity box for Magic and I. And consequently, it's good that we had coaches that allowed us to play outside of the box. So what were we thinking when we went out on the floor? Both of us, I think, were thinking, how do we win? How do we control the game? How do we control tempo? Because tempo was the most important thing. I can make it go fast or I can make it go slow. And when you can control the tempo, then you can control momentum. And if I can control momentum, then I can control your emotions. So while I'm making it go fast or slow, I'm, I'm really making you mad too, because you may want to play fast, but I'm making you play slow. <laughs> so it's, it's a whole mind chess game that you're playing as a point guard when you got that much control of the game. Is it about changing the tempo to be against what the other team wants? Or, or I feel like those Pistons wanted to play slower and have a lower scoring game than say those Lakers or those Celtics wanted to have. Is that, is that accurate? So those were the New York Knicks who wanted to play slower. You know, that was, that was, that was Oakley, Mason, uh, Starks, that group. We actually, when you think about the Detroit Pistons, we had the highest scoring game in NBA history. Right. Uh, so we, we played fast, but what we had the ability to do was play fast and play slow. So when Boston wanted to run, you had to be intuitive enough to know, okay, they're trying to change the tempo of the game. They want to run. So, okay, I'm going to slow it down. And, and then if they want to slow it down, now I'm going to speed it up. So I'm always going to keep you off balance, making you do something throughout the game that you really don't want to do. So whatever play you call in a huddle, if you call in a play for Bird, okay, we're going to double team him. We're going to make somebody else have to do something. We're always going to make you do for 48 minutes what you don't want to do. And that, that was all goal. So if you want to go fast, we're going slow. If you want to go slow, we're going fast. But you got to be versatile enough throughout the course of the game, not only to feel it, but also be able to execute. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash Thrivemarket.com slash Torre. 
On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, as 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 a competitor, if you could make your competition, your opponent do what they don't want to do, that like, you know, then they're already like a little on tilt. Like you're saying, the emotion is like, damn, I don't like playing this way, you know, like so they're already like ah, out of their sorts. Yeah. And, and by the way, I'm making you do what you don't want to do. Which is allowing me to do exactly what I want to do. So, you know, when 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 you hear players say, oh, we're out of rhythm or our team is out of rhythm, we're not in sync. I mean, th- those are those are big words. And although players casually throw them around, uh, that's exactly how I played. And what I tried to do is make you be out of sync, make you lose your rhythm. And consequently, that that messes with your emotional balance, your feel good about yourself, your confidence. I'm getting ready to ruin that. <laughs> <laughs> you had great court vision. Um, you know, you clearly could always see the floor, get people the ball where they wanted it, when they wanted it, timing, these sort of things. Um, talk about how you saw the floor, you know, when you were at your height so that we could kind of understand what that elite court vision feels like. So um, 94 feet, you, you, you play in, in the rectangle, uh, you know, the, the, the backboard is a square, the rim is a circle. So you understand in the angles of the game, uh, you understand in chemistry, you understand in the math, uh, you understand in the geometry, you know, when, when people look out on the on the floor and they see those those circles and those squares and those boxes and those lines, where well, I was taught exactly what every line meant, the angle that you take with them, and what you had to do out on the floor. So when you put together an offensive pattern, if your pattern is dictated by you being at such an angle, then I can disrupt that angle and I can disrupt your pattern. Uh, pattern basketball is the easiest thing to play against because now I know exactly where you're going and where you're supposed to be. So defensively, I can de- I can design my whole defense to disrupt your pattern. Now, how do I play against that? And and what I do is I want to be free flowing. So it's just like in a classroom, you know, I want, I want to put you in a position where you have to critically think every single time if I'm going left or if I'm going right, because I do have freedom to go both ways. You in a pattern, you can only go one way. And when you get to that spot, then you have to score from that spot. So what I always try to do is disrupt patterns and make people play against all critical thinking and free thinking. Without indulging the ego, it sounds like what you're talking about, you would have done just fine in the modern positionless small ball NBA, where a lot of players are like, I played for the 80s or the 90s, 
my game would not fit today, but it sounds like you would fit in quite well with the way things are done today. Uh, you know, the, 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 the creators in the game, and I looked at myself as a, as a creator and as an original, uh, your, your basketball playing ability is timeless. And not only is it timeless, it can fit in, in any era. You can put Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, myself, Kareem, Shaq, you can put them in any era. Yeah. And, and we would have tremendous success in any era. Now, all the players I just named, all of us are uniquely different. Mm-hmm. All those players I just named, you can't say one plays like the other. Right. And, and in this era of basketball that we have now, you have a lot of players who are very similar to each other and play, you know, actually the, the, the same way. Uh, as they do with the same dribble moves, the same shot. Uh, so, you know, when you look at our era, there was a lot of originality. There was a lot of creativity. Mm-hmm. And no team and very few players played similar styles. Like I said, Magic was 6'9", I was 6'1", but we played different games. Bird totally. and Magic were the same size, two totally different players. Jordan was totally unique in himself. Shaq was totally unique in himself. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So when you look at the way we played back then and and those originalities, a lot of those players, the reason why they're timeless and their game can fit in either era is because we brought creativity and a newness to our sport that while I admired some of the things that Magic did, it was, I didn't want to play that way. You know, I wanted my own style. And so everybody had their own style. And then it was, as in boxing, they say the styles makes the fight. Right. So everybody had a different style playing against each other. Whereas so now every team plays the same and kind of every player plays the same. So let's talk about some of the style. Kevin Durant. <laughs> Kevin Durant is very special. It, 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 let's talk about... Um, some of the styles that you brought to some of those epic fights that you had. Um, and as you point out, you know, none of those teams could say they dominated the Pistons. The Pistons got past all of them eventually. But, you know, Magic, Bird, and Jordan were your three epic rivals. So on the court, let's start with Bird, because I'm from Boston and I was watching those, those matchups as a Bostonian fan. Um, what were you, you not, not not the Pistons? We know we know where the Pistons. But what were you trying to do in terms of matching up with Bird? I know you weren't covering him, but like trying to stop Bird. What were you thinking about? The, most of the time, the, the majority of the time when we were playing against the Boston Celtics, particularly on the way up, we came in as students, and we, we knew they were the masters. So while we were competing against them, I was. I was mentally taking notes on what I would do once I got to their level. Because uh, they, they, they were the masters. And, it, and you grew up in Boston, and so you know how great a basketball team they truly were. Yeah. Uh, and and they, didn't make a, they didn't make a lot of mistakes. And everything was, was, was like perfection. And when you played against Larry, 
it wasn't his his physical gifts, and even though he had a multitude of them, uh, his mental gifts. He and Magic at that time in the NBA, he, Magic, and Kareem, in terms of their intellect, they were so superior to all of us that you know Magic Magic could win a basketball game and score four points, <laughs> but he's dominated the whole game. And he had twenty five assists. Yeah, and 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 Bird Bird could do things out on the floor that would help his teammates, uh, but you never would see it. So when we came in, you know, I was trying to learn as much as I possibly can to one day beat them. So uh, they they truly were our teachers. They truly were our masters in terms of you know coming to class every day. So when we played the Boston Celtics. It was like, all right, bring your notebooks, you know, bring your pen and pencil, you know. And in every year, every game, we just got a little better, a little better, a little better. And finally, when we beat them, it truly was like, it was truly like the teacher saying, all right, y'all got it now. You know, good luck. I, I taught you everything I can. Good luck to you. <laughs> I, the, the, you know, people talk when, when, when y'all beat the Celtics, and they were walk. They were walking off, right? Mm-hmm. And was it you and Mikhail who who had a moment before, right before you went on to the Lakers? Is it you and I know it was Mikhail. Was yeah, it, it was you? Mikhail. Mikhail? Yeah. yeah. And that moment gave me a bit of like, okay, we don't have to be heartbroken. Like Mikhail is like, okay, go get them, go do it for the East. So I was like, okay, what 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 was said in that moment? So I, I had known Kevin since I was in high school. Uh, and, and, and he and I, you know, even though, you know, the Celtics and the Pistons had these, you know, fierce battles, there was still a friendship amongst all of us. You know, Mikhail, Dennis Johnson, like I say, they, you know, they would beat us and then they would be like, well, you know, you shouldn't have did that. That was a mistake, you know, so they were teachers also. Uh, so, as, as the Celtics were walking off the court and, and Bird and everybody were gone. And they were leaving Kevin, you. They were not going to shake so, your hands. So, they were out. Yeah, they were gone. And as you can, Kevin Because you out, get it for not shaking the Bulls' hands, but you're like, they were shaking our hands first. Yeah. And as, Kevin, as Kevin was walking by, you know, you can see I actually reached back and grabbed him. Yeah. You know, basically to thank him. And basically what he said to me is, you know, don't be happy just to get there. Go and beat the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was, that, that was pretty cool. Uh, and, and by the way, when the Celtics walked off, we, you never heard us say, and it only comes up, you know, now because we get to talk about it, but you never heard the Pistons say, oh, well, you know, they, they were poor sports or anything like that. We, when the Celtics left, we truly were like, Thank you. Thank you for the lesson that, that you gave us, you know, because they were, they were great champions. Not only were they great champions, but they truly were great teachers. And everything that they, everything that they were, as you can see, we tried to be and we put it on the books. <laughs> so, well, well, before we go to Jordan, um, you, you go, you beat the Celtics and you go on to play your great friend Magic and the epic Laker team, a great all-time team. Magic changed the game in a lot of ways. Just the way, I mean, you talk about court vision, you talk about the way that people would approach 
the rectangle and the possibilities of where you would pass the ball. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, how did you how, mentally? How did you? How did you approach playing Magic, knowing that I don't know where the ball's going when this guy's got it? Yeah. So the the, the height advantage, you know, me being six one, uh, he being six nine, you know, Magic always had. Um, he always had a, a an advantage because where most small people, we have four passing lanes. We can pass one over your shoulder, two, three, four. Those, those are all four passing lanes. Two bounce passes below, two over the shoulder. Magic had a fifth passing lane because of his size. He can look over you. So his passing lane over the top of your head, you know, that, that opened up another vision for him out on the floor. Because he, you know, every game he played against, every every time he stepped out on the floor, every opponent that he played against, he had a, you know, five to six inch advantage over that opponent every night. So it just gave him incredible vision in terms of passing lanes, where smaller players, all, all vision is, is more or less distorted because people all size, you know, if they put their hand up the right way, you, you know, you got to look around them to, to try to find it. But but Magic, um, you know, from an intelligence standpoint also, he understood his offense, he understood his players, he understood when and where to get him the ball, he understood tempo, he understood how to make the game go fast, he understood how to make the game go slow. I mean, so from a, when you were playing against Magic Johnson and those Lakers, you you had two of the smartest players maybe to ever play the game on the same team in terms of Magic and Kareem, in terms of their basketball IQ. I mean, so when you walked out on the floor, it's not that you were playing so much against their physicality when you played the Celtics and the Lakers. You had to play against their intellect because they were extremely, extremely smart. And every time you made a mistake, they took advantage of it. You know, I would think... Magic 6'9", you're 6'1", there's a longer point between when he releases the ball on the dribble to when it comes back. And you live in that space down there. So yeah. was there not a chance, or how did he defend against somebody like you not stealing his dribble all the time? So uh, Magic had this thing where we call it a battering ram. dribble right and and he's six nine and you're right here if you stick your head in there he goes boom (laughs) so he smacked you in the head oh yeah he 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 would hit you uh so you you really couldn't get in there but what you could do and what i always tried to do magic was a dominant right hand passer and as a dominant right hand passer right hand dribbler what I would try to make him do is put that ball in his left hand and he was still effective as a passer with his left, but not as effective with his right. And, and once he got up speed and everything else, you know, he, he was very, very difficult cover. Um, you know, but, you know, I enjoyed playing against him. I enjoyed the, the mental chess match and the challenge. Uh, and, you know, he was, not only was he one of my favorite people, but he was also one of my favorite people to play against because, you know, it was it was always like anytime you make a mistake, 
he was taking advantage. And when he made a mistake, I would take advantage. We're, we're, his jump shot was not the best part of his game, right? Like, you were not afraid the, of magic. I mean, the layups, the dunks, when he gets in close, then he's, you know, but when he's like, what, 15, 20, 30 feet away, you're not afraid of him pulling up. No, you, you, wasn't, you wasn't afraid of that. But this is what made him so smart. He knew you wasn't afraid of that. So he wouldn't do it. <laughs> so he always, he never got seduced into doing anything that he didn't want to do out on the floor. So some players, you can give them the 15, 20 foot shots, 25 shots, go ahead, shoot it. Hey, you know, the percentages are on my side. And you are 25%, you know, field goal shooter from, you know, 25 feet. Okay, go ahead, take that shot. Magic was smart enough not to be seduced into taking that shot and then take the shot that he absolutely wanted to get every single time. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Okay, Jordan, is he the best player ever? I think, in my opinion, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the best player ever. And the reason why I say that is because when you look at Kareem's total body of work. High school, college, pros. High school, he lost one game. College, he lost one game. In the NBA, six-time champion, six-time MVP, scored the most points ever, so forth. There, there is no person on the face of the earth that has had a bad, a better basketball career than Luau Sindor Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. What made him so great? His last game, his last game was 1989 against us in the NBA Finals. And this point I want to make, 1989 in the NBA Finals against the Detroit Pistons. He came into the NBA in 1970-71. No player has dominated for two decades like Kareem has. The closest we got to it now is LeBron James, who has been to, you know, eight, nine finals. Now, when you, when you look at LeBron and Kareem in terms of their 14, 15, 16 years or however long they played, you know, very few people have done what, they, what they've done. Now, I say Jordan probably is the second, but when LeBron is all, when LeBron is done with his career, I think there's going to be a, a, a huge debate and argument. Is LeBron the best to ever do it? He's going to be in the room with Jordan and Kareem. And some people will choose him. Some people will choose Jordan. Some people will choose Kareem. You were on the floor with Kareem right now. You're on the floor. You were on the floor with Kareem many times. What made him so great? What was the IQ? Where did you see that playing out? The, the, he knew defensively what every single player was 
when he caught the basketball. So when he and Magic had the basketball, when you watch the Los Angeles Lakers play, either Magic had the basketball or Kareem had it on offense. And from a basketball IQ standpoint, they can read every defense. If you were trapping, if you were playing single man coverage, if you were playing half coverage, if you were playing zone, and they could recognize it immediately. So two, three zone, got it, boom, somebody got a layer. Where they got a layer? Oh, you're going to get a one, two, two? Okay, that guy got a layer. And it didn't take them a whole lot of time to recognize it. So the ball stayed in Magic's hands or Kareem's hands. And what Kareem was so great at, again, in terms of recognizing defenses, but then when you had single coverage on him, he was torching you. So, like, now you, you have guys, when you talk about post-play, Kareem, if you wasn't double teaming him, he was he was an 80 to 90% shooter when he wasn't double teamed. So that means every time he got it, it was like automatic, you know. And and if you don't come back to get him and double teaming and get it out of his hands, I, I never forget, I was going uh Byron Scott, I had got switched off on Byron Scott, and he threw it into Kareem, and I came back to double on Kareem. And he looked me dead in the eye and he goes, is this your man? <laughs> he dropped it to Byron. <laughs> Byron laid it up. <laughs> I never forget. He looked me right in the eye and he goes, is this your man? <laughs> oh, that, that's how smart he was. I mean, he was, he was brilliant. And still one of my favorites today because of what he stood for socially outside of the playing field during a time when and you lived in Boston. So you, you knew the names that he were getting, he was getting called inside the arena and the way he was getting treated, you know, during that period of time in the seventies and, and, you know, early sixties. I mean, so having to, to weather and, and go through all of that and still maintain his dignity and, and be the, the, the champion that he was, that, that's my goal. Okay, you, you broke down a little of Kareem trash-talking during the game, yeah. and they say Jordan was the best trash-talker. What was some of the stuff? you remember something that he said that was like, oh, man, this guy? Well, you, you got to remember, we, you know, my, my, my team's dominated his teams. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not saying we beat him. I, I mean, we truly dominated, you know, his teams. Uh, so he wasn't doing a lot of trash talking to us. Maybe he would do it to other people. Now, Bird was trash talking us. What was because he saying? We're dominating us. What, what did he say? Uh, you know, just, I can't believe you're going to put this guy on me. <laughs> and, 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 uh, you know, his nickname for me, sometimes he would call me Cheesy because I was smiling all the time out on the floor. And he was like, Cheesy, you, that, Kent Benson, Kelly Trapuca. Now, wait a minute. Uh, Kelly Trapuca and Kent Benson are standing right next to him. And he's looking at me like, you putting him on me? <laughs> Give me the ball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, that was, and then Mikhail, you know, again, because we were, we were at, we had known each other for so long. He would he would come back and he would run past me every time he was pouring my horn or lamb beer. He would run by me and he would say, 
hey, they may be physical, but ah, you got to get somebody who can jump a little higher than those two. <laughs> because because they can't get up here. <laughs> he had no. He had the nice. He had the nice hook going. Um, so talk about playing against Jordan. And I, I, I know your teams were dominating him, but I'm sure you could see right away this is an extraordinary play. Unbelievable talent. I mean, unbelievable player. We we and I had never seen anything like him. The closest thing that we had seen from a, from an athleticism standpoint in terms of jumping like that was Dr. J. But but you got to remember, I caught Dr. J. I came in in, in 81, 82. So I caught Dr. J at the tail end. I didn't, I didn't catch Dr. J when, when he was, you know, young and flying like we saw in, 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 on the videos. So, you know, when Jordan came in, the type of athlete he was, we had never seen anyone do the things that he was doing. And I, I remember going to the bench telling Chuck, it's like, you know, hey, we can, I can stay with him on the ground and we can stay with him, we can slide with him. But Chuck, when he, when he jump up there, hey man, I, (laughs) (laughs) I can't do that. (laughs) You know, and, and he had a, he had like a, a extra levitation gear where he can get up so high. So you, you knew it was different. And not only did you know it was different, it was, it was, it was beautiful to watch. I mean, he truly was poetry in motion, poetry in the air. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, he was, he was like the perfect athlete in terms of his size, body, everything. I mean, he was just, he was just perfect. And now you're saying, okay, I can't get distracted by all that because I got to beat him. <laughs> now, how are, we, how are we going to beat his basketball team. Um, so those are the things that, that you try to figure out. Okay, how do you, outside of him being, you know, having this extra uh, ability in the air, you as a competitor now, how do you make it a ground game? How do you, how do you make it a below the rim game? Because if it's above the rim, then we got no shot at winning. So my strategy at that time and our team strategy was, okay, we, we may not be able to do the things that he can do in the air, but when you look at a basketball game, most of the points are scored below the rim. And how do we effectively dominate everything that's below the rim? And that's, that, was, that was the philosophy that we started designing our defense and offense and everything around. So you talked about the basketball IQ that you saw play out with the other guys. Talk about how, where you saw it in Jordan. He had to learn how to win. Uh, he came in as a great individual talent, as a great individual scorer. And, and what Boston knew, what Detroit knew, and then that, that Milwaukee team that was always fighting with Boston to try to make it but would lose – is that basketball was a team game and you had to learn how to move the chess pieces out on the floor to beat the smartest people. And you wasn't going to beat the Boston Celtics doing dumb stuff. 
in, I even mean, scoring you, you sixty-three could, points. Yeah, you, you you can be you can be great individually, but if if your if your collective will and your collective education and your collective body of 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 understanding of the game is not coming to win as a team and you're only coming that way as an individual, then you're going to lose. And, and that's what, you know, in, in Jordan's younger years, he didn't understand how to use or nor did he want to use all the pieces around him. It, it was more individual than about team. And that's one of the big lessons of the last dance of Phil Jackson telling him over and over, you have to trust these other guys. And when he yeah. finally says, okay, I passed it to Paxson at the beginning of the fourth and he knocked it down. Okay. I, I trust you a little bit now. Like, you know, cause he's kind of like, I know I could do all this by myself, but okay. I'm gonna give it to yeah. you again. Um, yeah. But, you know, during that time, philosophically the way, you know, cause it's, it's a team sport. So philosophically, right, what you just described, um, that, that used to be just a matter of fact. Like, you're supposed to pass to your teammate. <laughs> you're supposed to pass to the guy that's open. And, and Jordan, Jordan's mentality was because athletically he was so gifted that whatever the norm was, he could beat the norm in terms of if we came to double team him, right? Most players would, would pass out of the double team. His athleticism was so great and he was so gifted where he could jump out of a double team and still be able to shoot over you. So Dumars and I would be there double teaming him and then he would jump <laughs> and we would go, do with that <laughs> uh, but I mean, then as as I Phil mean, started you know getting him to pass and move that's when Chicago really became unbeatable because now his teammates were involved they were making shots and then when he got the basketball he could score at will so there was very little defensive strategy at that point in time that you could that you can lay on him because he truly had become a very unselfish player and elevated his teammates to another level. I mean, as we talked about at the end of the game in a big playoff moment, right or wrong, most of the guys are like, do not pass it to me, right? The palms are sweaty, the heart is going. There's a few guys, you know, you, Jordan, Magic, you know, Kareem, who are like, give it to me. Right. And if Jordan's out there like, I want the ball and he's looking at Paxson or whoever, I think in the in last dance, Rodman was like, Utah, like, don't pass to me. Right. I think even Scotty was like, I'm good. You do it. Right. And like Jordan's like, I want this. I'm built for this. I don't care if I miss. I'm ice water, you know, just like you, just like Kareem. So why should he pass it? Why should you pass it? Why should Magic pass it? Like, I know I can score the bucket. Why am I passing it to John Paxson when I got, I know what I feel and I know I can make the shot. Because from a, 
from a defensive strategy standpoint, now your opponents, right? If you're not going to use your teammates, then defensively, it is easy. very easy for me to guard you and take away your your options. Now, physically, yeah, you can jump up and, and do some things, but now the, the the degree of difficulty comes in. And then from a psychological standpoint, emotionally, what that does to your teammates, because that's what I'm playing on, right? I'm 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 messing with your emotions the whole game. So when when this guy is, is jumping up and shooting over two and three people and the other guy in, in Paxson or Kerr is standing there wide open and we're saying, oh, shit, we ain't got you got a guard. You ain't going to pass you the ball. <laughs> are, you, are you saying that sort of stuff to oh, them? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because what, what basketball is about, it's about breaking down your trust, your belief, and your values of team within the group. So if I if I can break your team's trust or belief in a player or your offensive game strategy, then then all I got to do is take one peg out and that wheel don't roll no more because you're playing in a pattern. So all I got to do is just take one person out emotionally or take one person out, you know, psychologically and and if that one piece don't fit or work anymore and you're dependent on that pattern, then that pattern ain't going to work. Can you talk about a player or a moment where you were like, and like messed up his head and maybe changed the game? Oh, no, you don't, you, you, you don't really have to talk a lot because the fans see it, right? And and that player is over there waving his hands, and all you doing is saying you you looking at him like he ain't gonna pass it to you. Why, why am I guarding you? As a matter of fact, and, and yeah, you you would talk to different players, and you would be running down the court, and you'd be like, "Hey, this time I'm not gonna even guard you." Let's you said that to people? Absolutely. Let's see if he throw you the ball, and then I run away and and just double team, and there, and then I come back to him and go. I guess he didn't pass it to you, huh? <laughs> now, what what that does to the opponent psychologically? It 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 definitely like you know ruins his feel good about himself. And then, by the way, when you when he does finally get a chance to shoot it or get to touch it, and he misses that shot, <laughs> and he misses that shot. And then you run back and you go, hey, man, it's, I know it's, it's, it's hard to make a shot when you ain't touched the ball in the last 10 minutes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you said that to people. Oh, absolutely. That, that, was, that was the mental and psychological game that you played out on the floor. Now, Jordan has some killers on his team. So yeah. when you talk about Paxson, when you talk about Steve Kerr, when you talk about Craig Hodges, when you talk about B.J. Armstrong, hey, them guys were, you know, I mean, they can knock it down. I mean, seriously knock it down. And the fact that when he started trusting them that they can knock it down, 
then it became much more difficult because you got to remember Paxson, Craig Hodges, we all, we all in the same high school class. So we all knew, I knew, pa- I knew Paxson, you know, from five-star basketball camp, how great he was. And Craig Hodges and I played against each other in high school in the summer league. So you knew them guys could really knock it down. And they knew how good of players they were. So when you're playing against them, and, and, and I know how good they are, I'm saying, damn, I guess you, you ain't going to get the ball tonight, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Um, this that's great. That's great. I mean, the the we don't hear the trash talking as fans. Maybe if you're in the front row, you catch some of that, but like on TV, you catch none of that. And like you're saying, like that's that's a that's a significant part of the game. It's you know what I don't I don't know who who coined the phrase trash talking, but they totally mislabeled what we actually do. Because when I was growing up, and I'm sure when you were growing up, the, the, the words of description that we used was, I'm going to talk you out of your game. And if I can talk you out of your game, that means I'm going to make you do something that you really don't want to do or don't know how to do. And then it got coined into trash talking. But it's really not trash talking. It's really about you know, making it, 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 it's using your, your, ver- your verbal and your oral skills to make this person in the game do something that the coach don't want him to do. So the coach may say, I don't want you to shoot from 18 feet. And if I know the coach has told you that, right, then what I'm going to do? Go ahead, shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> you open, man. Co- coach ain't going coach ain't going to be back. Damn, you scared of the coach? <laughs> so you, so you, trash talking is like I'm better than you, but this is not what you're trying to do. You're trying to get him out of his game. One hundred percent. I I'm trying to disrupt whatever the coach has told you to do. I'm trying to make you do something that the coach is going to get mad at you for, and then take you out of the game. And then when you're out of the game, now now I got you mad at your coach. So really, I'm, I'm always trying to disrupt your strategy. I'm always trying to disrupt your emotions. I'm always trying to do something psychologically and mentally to you to make you have disruption in your game, in your emotions, inside your head, so you can lose. Who was the best in your era? Who was the best at that? Oh, it's Bird, Magic, and Kareem. <laughs> the people who won the most. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't recall hearing stories about magic. I heard stories about birds saying stuff. I don't remember hearing stories about magic talking to people like that. But again, it wasn't... Wait, hold on. My, my dog, like... My dog going crazy. Hold on one second. Sorry about that. That's cool. What, like, what, what was, what, what did he, what would he say? Uh, so, so magic was like, again, like Kareem. He, he would look at you and be like, "Is, is this your man?" Or, or you be coming down, or he'll be coming down, and he'll be like, "Hey, what, who, 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 
damn, John ain't guard nobody. Oh, well, I'm going to give it to <laughs> Isaiah. Hey, you better tell John. He better check up. <laughs> <laughs> or, or he'll be dribbling and he'll be saying, Worthy, Worthy got a weak one. He got a weak one. <laughs> Kill him, Clever. Kill him, Clever. I mean, so, so that type of, now he's, he's inspiring and talking to his teammates, but he's really telling you, your teammate can't guard my teammate, <laughs> you know? So Magic, you know, his, his verbal, his oral, and everybody would see him like, you know, high-fiving, like, yeah, yeah, you know. But there were other players around, like on the opponent's side, when he said, kill him, Cap, kill him, Cap, he can't guard you. He can't. And he's pointing at the guy, he can't guard you. So it, it messes with you. It messes with you. It definitely messes with you. You definitely would feel like, oh, man, now I got to show up. So then you got to. Then you're going to do something that the coach don't want you to do. Or you're going to do something out of character. And when you do something out of character, that means you've made a mistake. And every time, every time you made a mistake against the Celtics and the Lakers, they took advantage of it. Boom, boom, boom. And then they laugh at you, which would make you more want to. Uh, uh. <laughs> oh, wow. You, we started down your top five. You said Kareem, number one, Jordan, number two, probably LeBron, number three, all time. Just in terms of who, who will be in the discussion of being in the room where you can have a debate about the greatest players of all time. Kobe's in there. The GOAT, right? So I, I, wouldn't put, I wouldn't put Kobe in that room. Okay. The reason why is because Kobe was so much like Jordan. Okay. Again, right? So when you look at, when you look at uh, Kareem, when you look at Jordan, when you look at what LeBron is doing and what he's done, I mean, these are, these are kind of unique originals. You know, it ain't, they're not, they're not like somebody else. Like Kareem is like who? Jordan before his time is like who? Now there are a lot of players who are like Jordan now, but before Jordan, who was like? Kind of Dr. J, but. Kind of, but not. But not like that, right? Yeah, in one aspect, but not the total aspect. Yeah, and when you look at LeBron, you know, now I, I can say this. I believe if Magic Johnson hadn't, you know, if his career wouldn't have ended shortly, you know, Magic had built a body of work and was on a way to building a body of work that. You know, could have been in the conversation, but he's uh, he's in the room. He's in the room. Yeah. So when you look at when you talk about the greatest, the greatest players to ever play and dominate. Right. You you talking Kareem. Talking Jordan, talking LeBron, you talking magic. And then the fifth player, you know, it's it, in my opinion, it, it's up for debate, um, you know, but. I may have to put I may have to put Shaq in that room or Wilt or Russell, you know, because 
you know, Shaq is different. Russell's different. Wilt is different. And so they can all be in the conversation. Now, it all depends on what, what your, you know, your, your taste appetite is in terms of, you know, do you like Shaq? Do you like Will? Do you like Magic? Do you like Kareem? Because it's all debatable. Do you, do you like titles? Because yeah. Russell got more than all of them. <laughs> yeah, but but, but though, to me, those are kind of the, the group that's in the room where you can have a discussion. So, okay, top five point guards, including yourself. Um, so I would say Magic, Oscar, myself, Stockton. In uh, the fifth, um, you know, it's, it, 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 there, there are a lot of guys that can be in that fifth position. You know, uh, now, when, when Steph Curry is done, Steph Curry's going to be on this list because what he's been able to do in the sport, for the sport, um, he's deserving and will be on this list. And then again, it's just a matter of taste, which one you like. Curry's hard to deal with because, I mean, he just, the range is, if I'm in the building, I can make the shot. Dude, I mean... Come on, man. This this guy coming across half court and you're like, damn, he getting ready to shoot that. Is he he's, in, that? he's in range. Oh, he made it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's uh, circus shots and he makes yeah. it all the time. Yeah, he's 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 unbelievable. Um you you know, you you have made it from nothing to a Hall of Fame career a legendary career, um, you know, a fantastic career. We just talked about your, your, your playing career, but a fantastic career after the playing. What is your superpower that has allowed you to build this great life that you've built? Um, I, I would say it, it, it definitely started, you know, on the West side of Chicago at home. Um, you know, with my with my mom and dad, just um, understanding um, they they both came from Vicksburg, Mississippi, migrated to Chicago, and <clears throat> their their belief that education was the was the way out of poverty, and and not only instilling that, but also um, um, I would say fostering uh, a curious mind and and trying to make sure that you know you you had the the avenues and the ways to to go and then making sure that you know we understood uh, as a kid growing up um, you know my background uh, my mom worked with with Fred Hampton on the west side of Chicago wow um, she also, uh, we went to, to all the marches, the 66 riots that started in Chicago. We were, you know, uh, part of the march because then you didn't have babysitters. So just like you see moms and dads out on the street now, everybody's bringing their kids to the marches. So, you know, 66 as a little kid marching, then 68, 69. And, and I, I was one of those little kids when, when Fred Hampton was murdered. I was one of those little kids that, you know, had to go and view uh, the apartment that he was shot in. Wow. I uh, got the free uh, breakfast program. Uh, I was part of those, uh, you know, uh, self-defense classes that they were teaching. 
So, you know, coming from, from, from that background, and when Martin Luther King moved into Chicago, on the west side of Chicago, he literally moved four blocks from my house. Wow. Um, so, you know, coming through all of that and then having the ability to understand the system and understand America uh, and how you have to navigate and try to navigate, um, you know, it, it all started, you know, from, from those roots of, of being on the west side of Chicago. So, so one thing that I've always wondered about you, because I know the tough Chicago background, I know the, the mom and dad and the older brothers and sisters really instilling something strong in you. I didn't know how much the Black Panthers meant to you. So, I mean, you know, you, you bring all this to Indiana University. Yeah. And you got this white man screaming at you. Yeah. And what we know Bobby Knight did in public, I'm sure in private, it was even more. So how are you not like, you better get the fuck off of me because I'm from Chicago, motherfucker. What the fuck are you talking about? So, so here's the interesting thing, um, you know, just in terms of, of, of narrative and description. So when Coach Knight would, would be screaming at you and yelling at you, what he's saying to you is, in a very demonstrative way, that guy can't guard you. So while, while, his, while his energy may have always been portrayed and talked about as negative, it would be like your boy saying, that mother, you letting him take you? You letting this? You know, so what the announcer would be saying is, oh, Coach Knight is really giving it to him. Coach Knight is really... Now, there were times where he would be giving it to you, but you had made a mistake. I mean, you had done something defensively where this guy's beating you, and he's like, hey, this guy's kicking your butt tonight. So, but the way the announcers would talk about it was always different than the message that we were getting. Now, that's not to say that he wouldn't get on your tail, but at the same time, it would be like your mom or your dad or your brother saying the same thing. It was just on national television. He, he's, he's leading with anger. And that's one of the things we saw in The Last Dance, that Jordan was leading with anger and fear. And my perception was that Isaiah Thomas was leading the Pistons with more love and brotherhood and camaraderie and not anger and fear, and which, which is what you were taught. Yes. So what I, what I learned at a, at, a, at a very young age in sport and, and why I think Coach Knight and I end up being on the same page and winning championships and why my mother insisted that I go to Indiana is because we understood the difference between intensity and then someone describing that intensity as anger. So coming up, coming up on the west side of Chicago, all our intensity in terms of wanting to be free, not wanting to be classified and being labeled as angry black man it because of our intensity was so intense in terms of, no, this is, this is what we standing for. This is who we are. That description of 
that negative connotation of putting anger on us, that wasn't what we were about. Now, when you go and you put that intensity on the basketball court, people look at that and they go, well, the, those guys are really angry. They play mad. They play. But, you know, the people who are writing about it, right, and projecting and giving the narrative, they're not accurately defining or describing what we're putting forth. And that happened a lot, and I saw that with Coach Knight. His intensity was so intense about winning and, and doing it right that it was often described as anger, which he wasn't. So do you, he didn't cross the line? No. He didn't cross the line with me. <laughs> he didn't cross the line so with you me. saw him cross it with other people, but not with you. I saw him I saw him cross the line with other people in terms of what they were uh, used to or what they would feel was crossing the line for them personally. But in terms of my personal space and, and what I was about, uh, I didn't I didn't feel like we got into now we got into debates, we got into heated arguments, but in terms of our philosophical beliefs in terms of how the game should be played. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we matched there. Now, some of his other beliefs, I was man enough to say, well, I don't believe that. I mean, you can believe that you can preach that, but I'm man enough to say, I, I don't believe that, but we can still like, you know, be on the same bus and, <laughs> and go play a game. For more from me and Isaiah, join us over at patreon.com slash show. Thanks so much, too. For more from me and Isaiah, join us over at patreon.com slash show. Thanks so much to Isaiah for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle, Brenda Cox, Kathy F., and Dr. Kina Murphy. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at Patreon. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Torre Show. And check out my newsletter, Black Minds Matter. Go to blackmindsmatter.substack.com. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jakey Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhull. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday and on Friday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. 
My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.